So it's Martin Kinn here at the Shea meeting and I uh, was wandering around the posters yesterday and I saw a study from Duke looking at a novel innovation to try and reduce healthcare associated infection or transmission and contamination in the environment and when you actually look at whether people actually did it and it was about 11% so nobody was actually doing the intervention and, and that was about measuring whether the, a cleaning intervention had actually happened. <laughs> and I'm really lucky that my good friend Dr. Phil Carling's here from Boston and so I thought we'd have a chat about measuring cleanliness because Phil has a, a long and distinguished history in this so Phil can I take you back straight away first firstly nice to see you of course <laughs> likewise Martin yeah uh, but can I take you back to what made you interested in the environment and measuring cleanliness in the environment well uh thank you but to be honest it I sort of fell into it sideways. It wasn't a great plan from my childhood. <laughs> I, when I, as being a healthcare epidemiologist since back in the 1980s, I was involved in trying to make some improvements in what we were doing in healthcare epidemiology and infection prevention. I, I first got interested in the whole issue of needle uh, disposal uh, risks uh, that we didn't recognize until the HIV epidemic was coming in, in significant ways. Yeah. And even then didn't really appreciate for a while how dangerous uh, needles were. And before we uh, people invented all the engineering interventions for needles, uh, I did some educational uh, feedback by looking at how needles were being recapped and counting them and then giving uh, process information back to uh, healthcare providers. And that, that sort of led me on to uh, antibiotic microbial stewardship, which I got involved in and sort of did the same thing. I was able to show people um, how they were not using antibiotics well and then uh, give them feedback on how to use them better, especially on a system level. Um, I developed this idea that uh, has been used fairly widely of a, of a defined dose day. Uh, it was a concept I developed to be able to measure uh, how antibiotics are being used in a way that could be compared one site to another or one period of time to another. Mm -hmm. uh, that defined dose day has been substantially uh, replaced epidemiologically by the uh, patient treatment date, PTD, because now we have computers that we didn't have then that can yeah. tell us yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly what was used when and how long. But at any rate, I tried to do antimicrobial stewardship uh, interventions, but people didn't care in those days. Yeah, resistance wasn't so much of an issue, and there were quite a range to choose from, I suppose. Exactly. And, and, and quinolones came along, and everybody thought that, oh, that, that's going to cure everything, and, and nobody, nobody cared about it. They were cheap and easy to use, not dangerous, etc. And so I was sort of thrashing around and finding out what to do next, and I you know, there's only three interventions to uh, basically prevent transmission of pathogens in healthcare settings. We have their hand hygiene, which we all know and love, but there wasn't any, uh, I, I, by 1999, uh, uh, 2002, uh, everything I think that was important had been said <laughs> yeah. about hand hygiene, so I didn't see any way I could uh, contribute to the uh, science in that area. So I then thought about isolation and isolation got me depressed because nobody <laughs> knew about when, when to isolate, who to isolate, or how long to isolate. And so I didn't have any insights about that. And I just sort of asked the question, you know, okay, we're cleaning the environment around the patients, but how well are we doing it? And I knew I couldn't measure that very directly in, in an objective way. Mm. And so I started thinking about how to develop an uh, objective but indirect way of measuring how well cleaning was being done, uh, disinfection cleaning was being done around patients. And of course this is a time when people really didn't 
quite get the environment and didn't think uh, it was no that significant. No. You know, I was seeing papers saying it's it's cleaning's done for aesthetic reasons only and there's limited risk from the environment, including drains. I mean, now know that's, of course, not the case at all. Like so many things in this world, you, people learn things and then they forget the, what they learned. Uh, <laughs> back during the staff, uh, resistant staff period in the late 1950s when uh, staph aureus became resistant to penicillin, uh, very rapidly, and then you know, with the uh, the Asian flu in '57 and hospitalizations, and a lot of deaths due to staph uh, respiratory tract infections, they found staph aureus in the environment. They increased environmental cleaning. It was a real focus of environmental cleaning for a little while, but they made a big mistake in, in that they kept culture in the environment after the epidemic decreased. Yeah, and they found nothing much very exciting. Uh, we now know that uh, culture in the environment. Uh, once in a while it can be useful in an uh, epidemiologic sense, but that the bio-burden on surfaces is so low, it's very hard to pick up things unless you have a real con- concentration of them. And you, you've got to use specialist techniques as well, like exactly. enrichment, if you re- actually want to grow something as well. And you? it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, and it's not instant either, is it? It's Precisely. feedback days later. So that's why I sort of tried to figure out a way of making a, a marking system uh, that was uh, um, easily used and not dangerous for the uh, patients in the environment. Uh, it's basically a combination of a, of a methyl cellulose glue, at the time it was anyway, methyl cellulose glue, uh, a surfactant, and, uh, and, and a fluorescent dye, uh, which I was able to fortunately purchase from uh, one of those companies that sold it to um, uh, bars and social settings where you want to have a stamp on the back of your hand. Okay. Uh, uh, and it's an invisible stamp, isn't it? Was, it? So yeah, yeah, it was yeah. invisible. It was a clear ink that just fluoresced under uh, under black light. And how did you find the other components, the methyl cellulose and the surfactant? Well, the uh, methyl cellulose, um, I got that idea basically from uh, bookbinding and repairing antique books, because uh, paperwork and bookwork uses methyl cellulose as one of the major glues, with uh, polyvinyl glues being more modern. Uh, and I realized doing some of that work that you could mix methyl cellulose at any concentration of stiffness. And so what I developed was a solution that was fairly sluggish, if you will, uh, fairly thick. And then I thinned it down with a, a detergent and then was able to put it on surfaces. Uh, it dried quickly. It came off easily with just a little bit of water. I didn't want to have to try to measure the disinfectant itself. I wanted to measure the process of cleaning. Yeah. So it's really a, a process measurement tool that was objective. And by putting a small target on um, various uh, areas around the patient's uh, surfaces around the patient uh, that are expected to be cleaned by policy, all of a sudden uh, discovered after, after I developed the solution that things weren't being cleaned well. Yeah. So you did a pilot study in your own organization yeah. and found out that Actually, what you thought was happening probably wasn't happening very, Precisely. very well. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody just yeah, You assumed. won't be the first person to discover that, yeah. nor the last, I no. suspect. Everybody just, you know, thought, everybody says, well, you know, here's your policy, and here's your environmental service worker. Here's what you're supposed to clean, uh, let's say, is terminal cleaning, and go do it. And everybody says, okay, fine, and assumes that they're doing it. And they're not. No. They're not, not deliberately, not either, is it? It's no. just things get missed. Things get missed, and they're not taught well. Yeah. They're brought in, the lowest level paid uh, person in the hospital is your environmental service worker. And lowest status as well, actually. Exactly. Mm. It's lowest status. They, people weren't appreciated for what they were doing at all. They were just the people emptying the trash and changing the toilet paper. And so they weren't trained well. Uh, and when they were trained a bit, they used to do the same thing over and over. Some things 
some I found out that some workers would say, you know, they thought telephones were important, so they cleaned the telephone. Others ignored the telephone, and so things like that. By being able to see what was being done and not done, I was able to get feedback to the environmental service workers and the IPs and hospital epidemiologists that started to become interested in this uh, subject because it was obviously a, a gap in our preventive uh, activities trying to keep pathogens from spreading to susceptible patients. And of course they wouldn't have really a concept of what a high touch surface is would they? They right. wouldn't be thinking what are people touching and do I clean those? No they, do, they weren't taught to think that way hmm. but, um, but fortunately uh, IPs from around the US here saw what uh, we did with our original uh, work and, and, uh, and asked basically if they could have the solution to test them in their own hospitals. I mean, you pilot then, but how many, what percentage or proportion of surfaces were being cleaned? First, the first service I ever did in 2003 in one of my hospitals, I marked the room after it was cleaned and then let a couple of patients cycle through the room and then went back to see if the marks were there or whether they're gone. Hmm. And I found that half the marks were still there. Yeah. And uh, I checked that to, I added that, expanded that to like six hospitals, found exactly the same. We've now expanded to thousands of hospitals and found that basically without a structured program, about half to maybe 60% of what should be cleaned is being cleaned, particularly as part of terminal cleaning. Uh, we haven't been able to develop as much data on daily cleaning because it's a, a little more complex with the patient there and trying to figure out how to do that. Uh, we're still That's still an evolving area of documentation, but overall, when we do that, it, the numbers are similar. But, I mean, ideally, a daily clean would include high-touch surfaces because that's the point of that. And then, so, you know, when you've gone through cycling through a few patients, there's a few daily cleans which possibly should have picked them up sure. and a couple of terminal cleans which definitely should have picked them up. Absolutely. And still we're missing half. And that's you know, right. the, the problem is then you've got a load of data which is saying things aren't great and you've got to feed it back to the environmental service worker who, in my experience, generally wants to do a very good job, but you're about to give them very bad news or (laughs) some bad news about what their performance is like. So how do you go about that? Because otherwise you're going to go through the five stages of grief, (laughs) denial and bargaining, and I didn't have the kit and I didn't have the time, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, uh, I started out by... uh, I was nervous. I agree with you completely. uh, In fact... I would. I've met some of environmental uh, service workers. I'd be nervous. Yeah, right. And, And... and so, uh, yeah, in fact, one of the gentlemen uh, that was at my first presentation, I, the, the first thing I did right about that, Martin, was I brought them donuts. Oh, uh, food, <laughs> yes. Food to start out before telling them. That works at all levels of healthcare it, it work, helps, actually, of course. yeah. And so that, that was good. Um, and then, uh, but the, the gentleman, uh, the environmental service worker that I presented this to, uh, one of them in 2004, that was, still works in our hospital, and we're still friends. And what I did was, was I showed them what they were doing right. Uh, okay. And I didn't talk to them right away about what they weren't doing right. I gave them a little bit of an idea that they were being evaluated and that we appreciated what they were doing, that they were doing a good job of those, of those toilet handles. But the toilet grab rail, nobody ever saw those as being something to clean. And yet everybody touches that, presumably. Exactly. <laughs> it's probably the most important Just thing. after they've handled something Precisely. not particularly savory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Where are you going to find your resistant? Where are you going to find your C. diff? That's where I go looking for it. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. And so, 
the most that was the, that was the worst the least clean and always has been in every place I've gone and we've now looked in, in Great Britain and Ireland and, and Australia extensively and France and found exactly the same thing uh, in the developed countries that we've been looking at uh, in healthcare systems so that it was basically an opportunity to, to give this feedback and it turns out that the environmental service workers after you have a program in place like this they appreciate being watched and monitored because they know they can do a good job yeah and when they're doing it and they're told they're doing it well it's like anything else people be, appreciate being seen being recognized for what they're doing and yeah. i've had many healthcare uh, environmental service people come to me and say listen thank you for this this is fine if people understand what we're doing da 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 the people who are most nervous about what we're involved in doing this and still are in fact are the managers yeah. because they don't want to look bad uh, in fact you know if you think about it that's why have these uh, ultraviolet uh, machines uh, made such market impact over the years it's because the leadership managers saw a way of making themselves look better because these these machines look like you're doing a very good job of doing cleaning and uh, and you really care you're talking about the robot here now the aren't robot you? Yeah, yeah. yeah the robots are are very attractive to those management folks because it makes them look better yeah and they thought of course and a lot of people continue to think that they really do make a difference I'm not one of them but I think that it's it's uh, you can see why the psychology of uh, of this is and right now there are uh, there are systems uh, there are especially the companies that provide building services in the US are not using this kind of a monitoring system that I have because they're still they, they don't want the leadership in the hospital to see that they're doing not the best job yeah yeah, and I could see an environmental service worker actually being interested in this because, A, it shows an interest in what they're doing. Right. And also, you wouldn't be looking at it if it wasn't important. So it's not exactly. a performance management tool. It's a patient safety tool, isn't it? Precisely. And, it, and if you're getting that type of message over, the managers will think of it as a performance management tool. Of but, course. but if you can sell the message that this is actually increases patient safety, that, then that must make quite a difference to the environmental service worker. Absolutely. Where do you think we should go with this in the future then? You know, do we put in place programs where you have an educational program ready to go and you implement some monitoring and give some feedback in a non-punitive right. and rapid way right. and then you place in place your educational program? The problem is often you've got a very fast turnover of staff. True so that. maintaining an educational program is very challenging. Any ideas about how we can go about that? Yeah, that's very, your point is very well taken. Um, what we've done in the in the hospitals that I've seen it done well in is basically is is having a structure for an ongoing program uh, that includes recognition that there are workers that are coming along that may be language challenged uh, as many are in this uh, this field uh, have very diverse backgrounds uh, from where the language skills come from uh, and education obviously to some degree but the messages are fairly clear and easy to understand if they're taught well. I've seen hospitals that maintain these programs for six, eight years now without, with, with really less need for feedback. It sort of gets to be part of their whole culture. Okay. And basically they're monitoring, I would say, rather than like, you know, once a week or once a month, which was what I would recommend early on, to once every couple of months to, see, to look for problem areas or where some new people came on board that nobody remembered to educate them, etc. So you can, you can pick up very quickly where you, the problems with the system are. Hmm. Um, uh, that's another reason I, it's, I've seen it work well uh, using the, uh, the fluorescent marker system uh, is to uncover 
challenges within the structure of how patient care is being given. I've seen a couple of hospitals where they didn't improve. They gave, we gave them the feedback, they gave the education, da, 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 da. but it turns out that uh, they, and they weren't able to improve up to maybe let's say about above 70%, which isn't too high compared to what hospitals can do with the, this kind of program, which is up in the 90% range easily. Mm. If, you, if you're stuck at a level that's not really great in it, what, what it means is that there's some logistical issue. And it turns out that in this one hospital I'm thinking of, the environmental service workers just were not being given time by the administration and staff to clean the room properly. Yeah. They were only given a relatively short period of time. That's actually an interesting point because I've, I've mulled this one over myself. If the, you know it takes, say, 20 minutes to clean a room well and you've only got 10 minutes, mm-hmm. well, what are you going to do? <laughs> okay. And what an environmental service worker might choose to do may not be what you or I think they should do they should from do. a patient risk point of view. Sure. And how do, we, how do we say, okay, if you've only got 10 minutes, these are the things you've got to do? Is there a way of doing that, or should that be done through discussion so the environmental service worker knows, I've only got 10 minutes, I'm going to admit I've only got 10 minutes, therefore I'm going to omit these areas. But the problem for the management then is Mm -hmm. they've got to accept that some bits of the room are not going to be cleaned at all, which is quite an uncomfortable place to be, I think. It can be, that's for sure. Um, The tricky part is, you know, you're right, it's, it's basically teaching the environmental service worker that that if there's a structural limitation like that, that if you have access to the patient area right around the patient bed, the patient zone, uh, that's the priority. The closer to the patient, the more it should be cleaned. The bed rail takes priority over the telephone. Yeah. On the other hand, they don't want to leave a patient area without doing the bathroom because of the high concentration of, of potential resistant pathogens. But of course, they're taught that they do the bathroom after the patient room is the usual uh, teaching about which how you approach a patient area to be cleaned. So it can be tricky. Uh, what we found, though, interesting, Mark Rupp did a very nice study years ago where he showed that uh, he, he, all he did is see what, how, how long it took people to do uh, it. To I clean. love that study. Isn't that, it's a beautiful, simple study. Simple study. I and love it, it. And it was just amazing. The, the difference was that the... Uh, Should I explain what it was? It's, yeah. he, he basically marked a room and timed how long people were in the room. To clean. And then looked at how, how long clean. they were in there compared with how clean it was. Exactly. And there was no correlation, was there? No, none. So it was perfect perfect scattergram he was and in fact you know there was people that uh, that took an hour and a half to clean the room but didn't do a good job there are people that did 20 minutes and did a perfect job yeah and, and so but again you can use those that but the nice thing about this is if you start if you want to look at that kind of thing you can use those champions that did really well and, yeah and, and, show, and, and get uh, this peer discussion going okay what how did you go about doing that's that? right that, and actually yeah. people would really quite like that. Certainly yeah. the people who did well would quite like educating yeah, their course. colleagues. Of course. And others can right. learn from yeah. them as well. A lot of places have, have done that. and It's worked out very nicely. Yeah. It's quite interesting, the time to clean thing, because, you know, to me, sometimes the time set to clean a ward is these are the number of cleaning hours. Yeah. And then they change the function of the unit mm-hmm. or the turnover changes dramatically. Mm-hmm. So I can remember when I was back in... 3,000 years BC when I was an orthopedic <laughs> nurse, if you came in to have your hip replaced, you'd be there two weeks. So there was actually pretty <laughs> slow turnover in patients. Yeah. And now it's two days. So at the best. actual turn, yeah, at best. And the turnover has gone through the roof, but the cleaning hours haven't changed Mm-mm. at all. And nobody quite thinks of that. You know, what is our cleaning requirement? I spoke to a lady from Belgium called Anne Kalubertz actually at the ICPIC meeting, and mm-hmm. her managers had actually said to her, 
how long you know, does it take to clean a room? Mm -hmm. So she used your system. Mm -hmm mark the room mm -hmm. said at 80 percent we will consider that to be acceptable yep. i mean i have to say if i was a patient i'd be wanting a bit over 80 but they said at 80 told them how long it would take to mm -hmm. clean a room and that meant actually a 50 percent increase in the number of cleaning hours but she put the onus back on the managers to mm -hmm. say if you want it cleaned to 80 percent that's how much cleaning resource you've got to yeah. do yeah, if you're going to resource it left you're going to have to accept something and less. say that's what we want and by switching it back Very to them, clever. they gave no choice. Yeah, they good. had to go with what she'd suggested. So I thought that was, I thought that clever. was really clever. Very, uh, very, good way of turning the tables on managers. Oh, yeah. I, that's... That's excellent. That's a very, that's a very thoughtful approach. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks very much, Phil. I've really enjoyed our chat as ever. Okay. So it's always Anytime. a pleasure to see you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I can come back. You just <laughs> have to push the button. I'll be there, Mark. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Phil. Thank Catch you. Catch you again sometime. Thank you. <laughs>